Welcome to the Minds of the Early Church podcast. This podcast seeks to understand and develop the way of thinking of the early church, especially its spiritual and intellectual insights, in order to guide us in our time. Developing this way of thinking in ourselves will also give us new ways of navigating a quickly changing world and will allow us to engage the modern world in a fresh, exciting, and authentic way. What does it mean to read? At the heart of our faith is a set of books, which altogether make up the Bible. Because this is so, we must necessarily define how we are to approach reading the Bible, and also the writings of the early church, which made known to us the interpretation of the Bible, and also taught us how to apply it into the depths of our lives. So what does it mean to read? You may not believe it, but there are layers upon layers of misconceptions about what reading is, even on a day-to-day level. These misconceptions are so ingrained to the point that when we hear the word reading, we imagine something that does not describe the whole of that reality. We have to get rid of misconceptions regarding what it means to read. Here is one misconception. When most people hear the word reading, they think of novels. Yet reading has historically been associated with growth and wisdom, judgment, and a broadening of knowledge, and when these three combine, they create a deep-souled individual who sees the world in a much more profound and meaningful way. That person is also the one who can have a big impact on individuals, communities, and even across the generations. When was the last time you thought of reading as having that power? Now try asking a teenager. This is an ingrained misconception due to the fact that schools today emphasize reading books quickly and passing comprehension tests on them. Naturally, it is much easier to do that with a novel than with books that deal with the nature of humanity or goodness or truth. We have to be aware of how something that seems so inconsequential can create misconceptions that have an effect on how we even approach the idea of reading. Yet, there is a deeper and much more serious misconception related to reading that the majority of individuals have, and this can and does have a massive impact on how they understand the knowledge, value, and ideas in the Bible and in the writings of the early church. It is related to what goes on in our minds when we read. So what is it that goes on in our minds when we read? Most people think that we decode the text on a page and that is what allows us to comprehend a text. To give an analogy, we are like computers. The programmers put information into the computer, and in like fashion, when we read a book, the author of a book puts information into us, the readers. Just like the computer has the ability to decode the code that the programmer uses, we have the words and sentence structures that allow us to decode the words and the ideas contained within books. And just like the computer is passive to the programmer, the reader is passive as well. Some of you may be nodding and realizing this is exactly what you believe put into a beautiful analogy. But this is a mistaken conception of what actually goes on in the mind of an individual when he or she reads. Because while we do have words and structures that allow us to decode words, 
This conception cannot explain the ability to use higher skills like tracing out cause and effect in a text, or connecting the information in a text to other information the reader is aware of, or comparing and contrasting information in the text to other information learned elsewhere, either early in the text or outside of it, or analyzing fallacious arguments in a text, or determining the theme in a text, or determining the central ideas in the text and how they develop throughout that text, or determining figurative usage of words, such as ironic usages of words, or distinguishing between facts and opinions in a text. These can't be programmed into the reader like codes. They require the reader to have a set of skills available to him or her that they activate as they are reading a text. Unlike the misconception of reading mentioned earlier, there is another theory that takes these things into account, and it argues that both the text and the reader are active. The one who best articulated this theory is Louise Rosenblatt, who received recognition for her research on this. This theory basically teaches that any reading of a text is an event, and in that event the reader has an effect on the meaning pulled out of the text. How? Because the reader negotiates the background knowledge, including experiences, conceptions, and skills such as those mentioned, like a repository of information, such as figurative usage of language, symbols, and ideas, that he or she has against the text one is reading. This is what allows someone to receive a full appreciation of the meaning of a text. If I may give an analogy to explain, this conception of reading is like the action of eating. The health of the person affects how someone receives the food. Let's give an example of two people both eating a slice of cheesecake. One person has diabetes and regularly has very high levels of blood sugar. The other person is an athlete and is very healthy. If the diabetic person eats the same slice of cake, they will get hyperglycemia, they may get very irritated, and may enter into a coma. The athlete will eat the slice, will enjoy it, and will be fine. Yet the slice of cake was the same in quality and nutritional value. The issue was with the individuals who interacted with it. Or imagine you have someone who has been in the desert for five days, and ran out of water three days in, and is extremely dehydrated, is suffering from hyperthermia, and we bring him into a hospital and give him food. Any food he eats he will throw up immediately, because the body has to be brought to normal function before he can eat. This will require hydration, cooling, IV, and a few days in the hospital. This conception of reading emphasizes the background of the reader to be able to make sense of what he or she is reading. Poor background knowledge leads to a lack of understanding, or even more dangerously, an incorrect understanding of a text. Now, the early church fathers also had a conception of reading, one that can engage with modern knowledge about what it means to read. The early church taught that the ability to comprehend the Bible has a relationship to the spiritual state of the one reading. This idea is seen across many writings of the early church. In a passage from one of the earliest Christian writings written after the New Testament called The Shepherd of Hermas, it articulates this idea of reading. It says those who have simply believed, 
and have been entangled in business affairs and wealth and friendships with outsiders and many other concerns of this world, do not comprehend the divine parables because they are darkened by these matters and are ruined and become barren. Then he compares them to neglected vineyards that were good but have become barren by thorns and weeds. They lose their understanding and not comprehend anything at all concerning righteousness. For whenever they hear about divine matters and truth, their mind is preoccupied with their own affairs, and they understand nothing at all. But those who fear God and inquire about divine matters and truth and direct their heart to the Lord grasp more quickly and understand everything that is said to them, because they have the fear of the Lord in themselves. For where the Lord lives, there also is much understanding. So hold fast to the Lord, and you will understand and grasp everything. From chapter 40 of the Shepherd of Hermas. This is the same idea as the background of the reader affects the comprehension of the Bible, or in this case, the hearer, because in the early church, most Christians received the scriptures by hearing them read out loud at church. The idea of darkening by their business matters is the idea that there is something that affects their ability to spiritually benefit from hearing the parables. The image of the neglected vineyard that was once good but became barren is the idea that the life they lived by becoming entangled in business transactions, the matter of wealth, focusing on the matters of the world, and surrounding themselves with non-believers, has created an effect on proper comprehension of the Bible. It is the idea that if one has not had spiritual experience, then how can one be open and understand such spiritual teachings that are built on and lead to further spiritual experiences? It is like if we try explaining colors and shades and hues to someone who sees. We are building upon the background of the experience of sight that is common to both us and the one we are trying to teach. But if someone is blind, then they will not be able to understand what we mean by shades and hues or even colors. But, as the passage of the Shepherd of Hermas says, those who fear God and inquire about divine matters and truth and direct their heart to the Lord, grasp more quickly and understand everything that is said to them, because they have the fear of the Lord in themselves. For where the Lord lives, there also is much understanding. So hold fast to the Lord, and you will understand and grasp everything. Later in the mid-fourth century, another father, St. Didymus the Blind, eloquently puts it, saying, even more, if anyone wishes to read this book, we ask that he purify himself of every evil work and all wicked thoughts, so that he may be able, once his heart is enlightened, to understand what we have said. Furthermore, being full of holiness and wisdom, he will be able to pardon us if anywhere the result of our endeavor does not fulfill our intention, and thus he can consider only the sense of what we said, not the words we used to express ourselves. For just as we confidently claim that according to our conscience we have a pious mind, so too when it is a question of artistic prose and rhetorical eloquence and the flow and structure of the treatise, we simply confess that we fall far short of these. After all, the goal of our study when discussing the Holy Scriptures was to understand piously what was written and paying no attention to our lack of skill and our limitations when it comes to speaking.
from the book on the Holy Spirit, section 277. Here, St. Didymus the Blind connects the spiritual state on the background of the reader with the potential of receiving any benefit from what was written. The individual himself or herself has a role in whether or not they understand what is read, spoken, or taught to them. I remember one time I was attending a house Bible study, and I got into a little bit of a debate with someone there, and one of the people attending sat back and got excited and made a comment that sounded like it was something related to football. And as I reflected on that event that happened so many years ago, I realized that some people cannot perceive the qualitative difference between football and reading the Bible. Yet years later, in a different context, a lady from Texas told me that football is religion in that state. So maybe this was the reason that person was acting like it was football in the middle of a debate in a Bible study. But I don't know. I also remember more recently another person told me that he only liked church when his pastor got angry and heated on stage while preaching his sermon. Again, they don't even know what it is that they are supposed to be hearing or seeing or reading. As I mentioned earlier, the proper way to think of what happens during the act of reading is closer to someone eating food and the person's health will have an effect on how the food is received. Part of this is to ensure that the Bible is not treated as a light book, and one whose meaning is self-evident, because it isn't. Otherwise, this can lead to unintended consequences when we encourage others to read the Bible. I remember a few years ago, I had a parent of children who were in my middle school group tell me when she asked her daughters to read the Bible regularly, they replied that they didn't understand what it meant. They were lucky, because at least they were aware that they didn't understand it. Others may read it and believe they understand it, when in fact they don't. St. Augustine was one such person, and he was lost for nearly 16 years, and he ended up at the end of it all extremely frustrated at everything in life. This began due to a mistaken and unguided reading of the Bible. When he read about God the Father, he thought that the Bible described him as a human in form and reality. It took him 16 years before he accurately learned that this was not Christian belief and the Bible was speaking in figures to try to communicate God to our human minds and experiences. Years later, after his conversion and while he was a bishop pastor, he wrote a wonderful book, one of his most well-known and one of the first ever printed shortly after the printing press was invented, titled On Christian Doctrine, or in some other translations On Christian Teaching where he explained how to read and understand the Bible. In one passage he said, Those who read indiscreetly are deceived by numerous and varied instances of obscurity and vagueness, supposing one meaning instead of another. In some passages, they do not find anything to surmise even erroneously. So thoroughly do certain texts draw around them the most impenetrable obscurity. This raises the question, how does one suppose? As we saw earlier, supposing does not happen automatically. It happens by one negotiating their background knowledge and actively trying to make connections between what he or she is reading and what they already know in order to comprehend the text. The more context one knows surrounding a text, whether it is author's purpose 
or author's background, audience, unique vocabulary used in the text, text structure, and more importantly, historical context and cultural context. This will provide a richer background that will allow a reader to suppose correctly. Without context, even the easiest writings can be wildly misunderstood. Here's an example. In November 2019, the Associated Press reported that text messages that were sent several months before were delivered to phones on Thursday, November 7th, in some type of glitch. A simple message with only the letters OMG that was sent from one sister to the other months before was sent now, but now was 5 a.m. The recipient's sister woke up and negotiated all her current contexts, including that it was 5 in the morning and that her sister had just given birth to a son. She supposed that something had happened to her nephew. So she called her sister. Her sister didn't answer. She called her sister's husband. He didn't answer either. What she was supposing was becoming more ingrained in her mind. Then she called her mom, and her mom became extremely worried, no doubt. The result? It took three hours before she could figure out what happened. Three hours to figure out the meaning of the letters O-M-G. There's a link to the article in the description below this podcast episode if you want to read more about this event. But back to St. Augustine. He completes his thought in this passage about the obscurities in some places in the Bible by saying, I am convinced that this whole situation, of not being able to suppose and so on, was ordained by God in order to overcome pride by work and restraints from haughtiness our minds, which usually disdain anything they have learned easily. From Book 2, Section 7 of Unchristian Teaching. The Bible is a collection of books, some of which are difficult to understand. This adds to the reference we have and should have for the Bible. The fact that we have to labor in order to understand it makes us humble and grateful that God has bestowed His grace upon us, that we can understand it, and to be transformed by it, and to live different lives after reading it. All of the Church Fathers acknowledged this humbling difficulty. The people who didn't were heretics. So how can we apply this into our spiritual lives? The first is to have a prayerful life. Those who wrote the Bible were people of prayer. One of the longest books in the entire Bible is a collection of prayers and hymns, which are the Psalms. The early Christians whom the Church Fathers represent in their writings were people of prayer. If we don't pray, then how can we ever hope to learn anything from the Bible? The Bible was written so that our lives might be transformed and deepened in God, and in each other as those seeking God together. So we must have prayerful lives. But what about those who don't believe? Our faith, after all, grows due to conversion of those who were not formerly believers. Regarding this, there is an instructive story from St. Gregory Thaumaturgus. St. Gregory Thaumaturgus recounts that when he sought to learn from the Christian preacher and scholar Origen, Origen invited him to come live with them, that is, the Christian community. Then from there he bridged into teaching him the faith from dogma to the scriptures. 
Then seek guidance under a spiritual father. Origen was the spiritual father of St. Gregory Thaumaturgus. St. Gregory Thaumaturgus was the spiritual father of St. Macrina the Elder. St. Macrina the Elder was the mother of St. Basil the Elder. Then St. Basil the Elder was the father of St. Macrina the Younger, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Peter of Sebast, and St. Nocratius. Then those had countless disciples, so that you see the continuity over the course of 150 years. This is just one brief example. When you delve into the writings of the early church, you will find many more examples. To make clear, you will not find one tried and true writer in the early church who did not have a spiritual father. All of them did. This is discipleship. Spiritual fathers teach us how to follow God, which begins, of course, with repentance, which is the first step on the journey with God, and it is the first act that comes from faith. They also teach us the dogmas of the Church, so that we can interpret certain passages about God and humanity and life correctly. This is the background context. They deliver the teachings of our Lord and His disciples and the whole of the tradition to us. We enter into it both in life and in thought, and they nurture us in it along the way. After these steps, then we should begin reading the Bible with the aim of getting a familiarity with the books of the Bible. Some listening to this in the West may be a bit thrown back that only here do we begin reading. But think about it. All conversions began at hearing preachers and praying and repenting. Even in the case of intellectuals such as St. Augustine, when he first read the Bible, it drove him away from faith. Only when he met his future spiritual father who guided him in all these things did reading the Bible transform him, because St. Ambrose, his spiritual father, prepared him spiritually to receive the spiritual food to be found in the scriptures. So only at this point should we begin reading the Bible and first with the aim of getting a familiarity with the books of the Bible. For example, to understand the division of the Bible into parts, such as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then to understand the differences between the five books of Moses, the historical books of the Old Testament, the prophets, and the poetic books. We should also understand the essence of the New Testament as the completion of God's revelation to humanity as it was realized in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that the first four books in the New Testament are the Gospels which recount the life, works, and teachings of Christ. Then the Acts of the Apostles covers the early decades of the Christian Church, focusing on the lives and ministries of St. Peter and St. Paul the Apostles. Then we must understand that the rest of the New Testament is letters written by various apostles to different church communities that provides us with the model of how to live as Christians, and that the Bible concludes with a prophetic book titled Revelation. Then after we read to acquaint ourselves, we must have a habit of rereading the Bible. One of the distinguishing factors between the early Christians and modern Christians is that they regularly and repeatedly interacted with the Bible. In every service the Bible was read, and there became a calendar for the readings early on in the church and continued developing so that over the course of a year, and at certain times of the year, the same readings would be read. For example, 
Readings about the birth of our Lord from both the prophecies and the Gospels during the month of December, or readings from Genesis concerning the flood, and from Exodus concerning the crossing of the Red Sea, and from Kings concerning the cleansing of Naaman the Syrian during baptismal services. You can still see this today in Orthodox Christian churches. For example, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, every year on the Sundays of December leading up to Christmas, the first two chapters of Luke are read, and the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew is read on Christmas Eve. Sermons are given on these chapters with close to the same frequency. This practice is something we have received from the early church directly. Other than this, those who were literate and could afford books read and reread as a spiritual practice. Since we are living in a time where there are high levels of literacy and affordability of Bibles, we too should read and reread. With the types of supports mentioned earlier in this episode, and with your continued spiritual growth, it will be in the rereading that you grow in your knowledge of the scriptures, because you will grow spiritually by reading, and then you will live and experience life differently because of it, and when you learn under your spiritual fathers regularly, and then when you go back to a book or passage in your rereadings of the scriptures, you will learn more because your background will have grown to tune with the text. Add to rereading reflection. Early Christians reflected on what they heard or read. Notice most Christians received the scriptures by hearing it because literacy levels averaged 5-10% to of the population in most places of the ancient world. Then in some of the richer cities it was as high as 20%. But whether we hear the scriptures or whether we read them, we should reflect upon them, because in reflection we will receive insight, and we will learn to frame our lives on them, and to see whether we have already been living according to the scriptures, and where we are still lacking. When you read martyrdoms in the early church, or the lives of certain early Christians, you find that they are compared to people from the Bible, most notably our Lord Jesus Christ or the Apostles. This is not a literary device, but this is due to the culture of the early Christians viewing their lives in relation to those people in the Bible. Even today, in the more dedicated Orthodox Christian communities, you will find people having discussions about their priests, parents, grandparents, or friends, and comparing them to certain saints from the Bible or from the early church. This is how we are to frame our lives according to the scriptures. Then finally, listen to or read sermons. Much of the literature that has survived from the early church are collections of sermons. The ones that most readily come to mind are St. John Chrysostom's. They are deeply moving. Also, St. Augustine's are worthy of reading. In modern English translation, they take up 11 volumes. These two fathers also have their sermons systematically built on books of the Bible, so that you have series of sermons on the Gospels, the Acts, the Epistles, and many of the Old Testament books. To read these in your devotions alongside the books of the Bible, in your rereadings of the Bible, will help you grow more than you ever imagined. So to recap, the act of reading is a transaction, an interaction, between reader and text. The background of the reader, both spiritually and in terms of knowledge, will affect what type of meaning, 
what type of interpretation is made of the text. Reading is not decoding the symbols on a page, like a computer decodes the code. But it is like a very healthy person eating a healthy meal. The result will be a growth in health. But if the same healthy meal is given to someone who is extremely sick, dehydrated, and is suffering from malnutrition, the food will likely lead to more sickness and discomfort. They will need IV before regaining the ability to eat. The Church Fathers also held a similar view of reading, but applied it to both the spiritual state and knowledge of the person approaching the text of the Bible. We took their thinking and found we could apply it seven ways to reading the Bible. Number one, having a prayerful life. Number two, seeking guidance under a spiritual father. Number three, repenting. Number four, reading for acquaintance with the books of the Bible. Number five, rereading the Bible. Number six, reflecting on it. And number seven, listening to or reading sermons. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode to be beneficial or interesting, please subscribe to my podcast and share it with your friends and family. You can also visit my website, danielhannawriter.com, where I have written articles and a list of recommended books, including much of what I mention on my podcast. I have also written on many different aspects of the Christian faith, from the Bible to spirituality to apologetics, book reviews, dialogues, patristics, and philosophy.